So the term Monday morning quarterback was developed uh, because all of the NFL games would get played on Sunday, and uh, on Monday there would be all kinds of opinions about what happened on Sunday. So Sunday, you know, you've got a coach and you've got a player and you've got a bunch of players, an entire team that are dedicating their lives to this day. And they, they dedicate their lives to this segment of football. They're gonna, they memorize the plays. They know plays that they, that we don't even know of yet. They've got all these extra plays in their back pocket just in case they ever have to pull out like a sneak play or some kind of trick play. And so they work together as a team. They work hard all this week, or, or all year long, really, running into this week. They study the film of other teams. They go hour after hour of film of the team that they're going to play. And then they play the game. And they work hard in that game. They care much more about whether they win or lose than you or I ever could. Than even the most ardent fan would really care. But on Monday, we all have an opinion. And it, I remember a couple years ago, a Super Bowl with one of the greatest running backs in Seattle, one of the greatest running backs of the time. They had him in, his, in their arsenal. They need to score. They're on the goal line. And they throw. And I remember the coach just absolutely getting lit up for that decision. And we all thought we knew better. What an idiot. You got this great running back. Give him the ball. We do that all the time with football. We don't know the circumstances of the players. We don't know the chemistry that's going on. We don't know how tired he is. I can remember when the Broncos won their first Super Bowl and Terrell Davis, who was this amazing running back because he had an amazing offensive line, he had migraines during that Super Bowl, and so he couldn't even see. And they, they were putting him in just to fake out the defense, because they're like, if, if he's not in there, they won't think that we're going to pass or run. So we're just going to keep him in there. But yet, we don't know those details. We don't know all these small details of like, this guy has a migraine, he can't even see right now, but they're just putting him in. We don't know those details, but we still think we know better. And we still think on Monday morning, we should be teaching the coach how he should be operating that football game. It's kind of in our nature, isn't it? It's kind of in human nature to not be involved in something, to not know all the details, to not know the in and outs, to not know the team chemistry, and still have an opinion, an opinion that we think is right. And we do this with all types of things, including church. And so we listen to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and we start to operate like Monday morning quarterbacks, looking at this church that rose to be this huge megachurch in Seattle, and then they fall apart almost overnight. And we listen to this podcast, and we think, man, I would really do better than Mark Driscoll at Mars Hill. They just He just didn't know what he was doing. And all those elders, they don't know. Now, don't get me wrong. Listening to a podcast like that can help us learn some lessons. It can help us understand why congregational governance or policy is important. 
But even when we listen to a podcast like that, we need to come to it with humility and not with the idea of Monday morning quarterback. So we do that with Mars Hill. We do that with other churches all the time where we look at them and we say, man, I've got an opinion. And I don't have a clue about their congregation, but I have an opinion. And we do that with the letters that we see in Revelation as well. And we read these letters, and we start to dissect them, and we get involved in them, and we become Monday morning quarterbacks. And then what we do is we take these letters, and we look around at other churches, and we say, you know that loveless church, the church in Ephesus that that lost their first love, and, and now they're kind of loveless? Well, I know which church that is in America. And we start finding these, like, famous churches, and we start pairing them with the letters to to the different churches in Revelation, and we start to become the Monday morning quarterback. Oh, that compromising church, that relativistic church, I know which church that is. And we start to point our finger at all the other churches. But this is really a letter written to us. Not so we can point fingers over there and be Monday morning quarterbacks for the church over there. But that we could turn that finger around at us and say, how are we like that church? Where are we compromising? Where have we let relativism and synchronism creep in? Where have we started to lose our love? And not just we as a church, but we can make it even more personally and ask the question, how am I like that church? How am I all about my own reputation and not about the reputation of Christ? So today we're going to do something, and if you're fairly new here, it's it's something that I really love to do. Uh, and it is, I think, maybe just slightly unique, and that is we're going to pull back. We've been studying, taken, we've taken nine weeks, and we've gotten into the details, and we've looked very closely at all the details of these letters. And now I want to take a step back, and we're going to read through the entire first vision in Revelation. And as I read through it, I want you hopefully to pick up on some themes. We'll do a little bit of a review, and then I want you to hopefully pick up on some themes and start to connect the dots, because this is a letter, and this first vision actually sets up the rest of the book. Have you ever wondered why he starts with these letters to the churches? These churches are going through problems. What's the solution? He gives several different solutions, but he's going to lay that out. Through the rest. So this is the first of four visions. There will be three more visions, and these three more visions are the key to the solution for each of these churches. But he says some things very particular before we get, even get into it. He says, starting off in the, in the very beginning of the prologue, he says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This word keep means to heed or to conform to. A few weeks ago, we had the kids in here and we handed out Play-Doh. 
And we had the kids conform the Play-Doh to their hands. And that's what we should be doing with these letters. It's not ammunition to point at other churches. It's saying, here am I. Lord, let me conform to Your Word. Let me take these letters to the church and instead of using it as fuel to point fingers, let me look and self-examine my own heart. And let my heart conform to Your Word. So he starts off with this prologue. And this prologue explains how this revelation comes about. How it comes through Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation in the Greek is apocalypse. And it means simply an uncovering or an unveiling. So this is an unveiling of future events from Jesus Christ to John. So Jesus is unveiling what will happen in the end And he's unveiling it to John, who is then going to share it with us. And we are blessed if we keep this, if we guard it, if we conform to it. But these letters start us off. We'll get a better understanding if we start off with the letters. So many times we want to take the letters and then we want to divorce them from each other. And then we divorce them from the rest of the visions. We need to hold these letters as well and understand that it is these letters that set the tone. Each one of us throughout our life will have to struggle through each one of these letters at some point. Each one of you will be persecuted at some point. Each one of you will start to drift towards a loveless relationship with Christ. Each one of you And when I say you, I include me. We'll struggle with compromise. We'll struggle with uh, syncretism. We'll struggle with wanting a good reputation and care more about our reputation than the reputation of Christ. Each one of us will have this struggle and we have to focus in on the rest of the letter to understand how to overcome these struggles. So he starts off with the prologue and he lets us know how this revelation came about. Then he gets into the greetings of the seven churches, four through eight. So he starts to set the tone, and this is one of the best places for an argument for the Trinity. If you've ever come across someone who doesn't believe in the Trinity, this is one of the best arguments for the Trinity because he starts off with grace to you and peace from Him. And then he's going to give three different descriptions of Him, and we can combine these together to make one God. So Him who was and who is and who is to come. That's a description of God the Father, who is everlasting. Who was means forever in the past He existed. Who is, meaning He currently exists, and who is to come means He will forever exist, future looking. And from the seven spirits, we've learned that seven is the number of perfection, and so the seven spirits is a reference to the Holy Spirit, the perfect spirit who are before His throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So we see there that that there's the Trinity all held right together because He is describing Him. This isn't just a description of who is and who was and who is to come, but a description of all three who is bringing you grace and peace. And then He gives the Gospel right here. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom of priests 
who loves us because of His great love for us. He came and He paid the price for your sin. Sin is anything where you've missed the mark. Quite literally, that's what sin means. In the Greek, it's hamartia, and it meant to miss the mark. So they, so sometimes they would have uh, archery and uh, tournaments, and if someone missed, hamartia, or we would say sin, meaning you missed, you missed the mark. And every single one of us have missed the mark. Every single one of us has rebelled against God at some point. But even if we didn't rebel, even if you thought you haven't rebelled against God, you just haven't lived up to His standard. You've messed up at some point. You've missed the mark at some point. But God being in in love with you, with His own creation, that He came and He paid the price for that mess up, for that sin, for that missing of the mark, and He paid the price by His own blood. Because of your mess-up, you deserve eternal death, eternal separation from God. He came and He paid the price. And when He did that, He has freed us from our sins. Before you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are a slave to sin. Have you ever wondered why you struggle with that thing that keeps coming back. And you know you don't want to do it. You have that certain issue that you just hate about yourself, and you just wish you wouldn't do it. And yet, you continue to do that thing you hate. It's because you're a slave to sin. But when you put your faith and trust in Christ, He takes you from being a slave to sin, and He makes you a kingdom of priests. Priests were people who could communicate with God. And so he he takes away that need to have someone else communicate with God for you. And he says, you can communicate with Him yourself. You now have a personal relationship with your Creator. You don't need someone else to communicate to Him for you. So he gives this description and he introduces the churches to us. And and in this description, he he talks about how glorious Jesus is, and he gives this great description. And then in each one of the introductions to churches, he draws from that introduction of Christ's glory. And then he gives us each letter to each church. So we've got, let's go to the next slide. So we've got these letters coming about, and this is a zoomed out map, so you can see Italy here. Here's the Dead Sea. Jerusalem would be about right here. This is the Black Sea. This is Greece. This is modern-day Turkey. This is where the letters would go. It follows this line because that is the postal route. So let's go to the next slide. This is a little bit more zoomed in. This is Greece. Black Sea way over there. Mediterranean Sea. Patmos is where John is is living. And the letters are going to come up and follow this route here, ending in Laodicea. So let's go to the next slide. So I've got this and we've handed them out. If we ran out, if you want another handout with these, the handout is a little bit more detailed. But if you'd like one, uh, let me know and I'll get you, uh, we'll print off some more copies. But this is kind of a little a diagram of what each church is going through. So we've got the church, we've got what the church is known for, and then I have just simply uh, what the advice is that Jesus gives. The handouts have a whole lot more detail than just that. 
So here we are. So, so the first stop on the postal route is Ephesus. Ephesus is known as the loveless church. This church had great doctrine. They knew their stuff. They didn't tolerate heretics. They didn't tolerate people who were teaching against the essentials of the faith. And sometimes we throw that term around heretic fairly easily. And we call people heretics who aren't really heretics. We call them heretics because they don't agree with us on maybe a tertiary issue. What I mean by that is there are essentials of the faith. The bare minimum it takes to call oneself a Christian. We would say it's the inerrancy and inspiration of the Scripture. So we can trust the Bible. And then we would say it's also the virgin birth and the deity of Christ. We would say His atoning death, meaning that He died for your sins and His bodily resurrection. For us, those are the the bare essentials. And if you would disagree with those bare essentials, I'd say, yeah, you're a heretic. But then there are secondary issues. I won't get into all of the secondary issues, but we can disagree on those secondary issues. One of them might be church governance. There's a lot of different ways to govern a church, what the church polity is. There's a lot of different ways. We might disagree on those. I can still call you a brother in Christ, but I might encourage you to go to a different church if you think that uh, we should submit to maybe a Presbyterian style of governance, meaning that there is some headquarter outside of Flagstaff that's going to dictate what happens in this church. I don't see that in the New Testament. So I might call you a brother in Christ, but maybe you should go to a church that has a Presbyterian style government. That's a secondary issue. And then there's tertiary issues. Things that we can disagree on and call each other brother and sister in Christ and still go to the same church and still attend and still build each other up. So those are, those are different levels of theology and different levels of agreement. The Ephesians might have disagreed with each other on tertiary issues, maybe even secondary issues, but they held fast to the essentials. But their problem was they became loveless. They no longer loved God like they used to. And so as advice, return to your former love. Now, Part of that returning is to return to your previous works. And what he means by that is return to those things that helped you fall deeper and deeper in love with God. This is good advice for marriage, by the way. It is easy in marriage to become a partner, to have a partnership, but to fall out of love. Because you're so busy being partners, you're so busy doing things, that you forget the love that you had for each other. In Proverbs 5, it tells us to remember the wife of our youth. Remember the wife of your youth. And basically what that advice is, think back on what drew you to this person. Think back. Remember how you just were so in love with them. I can remember when Jen and I first started dating, She lived in Cheyenne, I lived in Denver, we were about an hour and a half away, we'd drive to Fort Collins in the middle, I was I was a youth pastor and I was in school at the same time, so sometimes I didn't even get out of class until 10 o'clock at night. And I'd call her as soon as I got out of class, hey I'm out of class, let's meet in Fort Collins. 
45-minute drive up, 45-minute drive down for her. And we'd go find an all-night coffee shop. And we would stay in that coffee shop till about 6 a.m. And I'd drive home, I'd sleep for about an hour, and then I'd go to work. Only to repeat the whole thing again. Now, that is not sustainable for me today. But I was living off of adrenaline. I was living off of love. When I recall that, it helps me to rekindle that love for her. And I also date her. Men, date your wives. Take her out. Spend time just you and her talking. Get to know her again. That's good advice for, for marriage. But this isn't about marriage. This is about God. So, return to God. All right, so rekindle those things. That's one of the reasons why praise is so important. When we come together corporately and we worship God corporately, it helps us to remember who God is and who we are. Worship is important because it helps us avoid becoming the Ephesian church. So we need to encourage each other to worship together. Same with prayer. Praying helps us rekindle that. It helps us to never lose it to begin with. So, the Ephesian church was a loveless church. The advice was return to your former love. The church in Smyrna was the graceful church. And he told them to be faithful unto death. The church at Smyrna was, was uh, facing persecution. His encouragement was to be faithful unto death. Stay steadfast. Don't give up. It's easy to say you're going to be faithful to God when life is good. But faithfulness really kicks in when you're staying committed even when it doesn't feel good. Then you've got Pergamum, which was the compromising slash tolerant church. So they had, uh, they started following some that, that followed the uh, teaching of Balaam. And what happened there is uh, they started saying, it's okay, those things aren't real anyways. So there was a, a great amount of pressure to worship the Caesar. It was the imperial cult. And if you didn't worship Caesar, then you'd be cut out from the community. You'd be cut out from your job. You'd, be, you'd essentially lose everything that a community has to offer. And so some people came along and they'd say, you know what, we realize that Caesar isn't really God. So it's okay to just give some lip service. It's okay to say, I, I, I swear my oath to Caesar and then really worship Jesus. There were people going around saying that and the church tolerated it. So the advice to them is repent. No longer tolerate false teaching. No longer tolerate that compromise. There are people that want us to compromise that want to tell us that, that the Bible isn't truly inspired, that it's not truly inerrant, and we cannot tolerate that type of compromise. Once we start undermining the Bible, once we start undermining the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture, then we throw everything else out. So we need to hold fast. We cannot tolerate the compromise then you've got Thyatira, the relativistic church, the synchronistic church. Uh, they were the church that let Jezebel come in. And the reference to Jezebel, we often think of Jezebel 
uh, as being this wicked person because she was a seductress. And, and though she is called a seductress, the real issue with Jezebel is that she was syncretistic, meaning that she believed everything was the same. She didn't, she was known for fighting against Elijah, but she didn't hate Elijah because he went and worshiped Baal or Baal. She would be totally fine. If he worshiped Yahweh along with, that was her issue. Her issue was Elijah said there's one truth. That's what she didn't like. What she wanted is to say there's your truth and there's my truth. How dare you ever even question my truth? How dare you say there's one truth? That was Jezebel's problem. So she called herself a prophetess. She said she had a word from God. She said that the Lord was speaking to her and she had a word for you. So the advice he gives is hold fast, meaning continue to grow in the truth of Scripture. To claim to be a prophet, mean, a prophet simply means to be a mouthpiece of God. That's what a prophet means. So anytime you start saying that you are speaking on God's behalf, anytime you say, the Lord or God gave me a word to give to you, you better be ready to back it up. So in the Old Testament, a prophet who would say something like this, that would say, I'm the mouthpiece of God, and I've got a word from God for you, if, they, if their word didn't come true, if they weren't able to provide evidence or proof, it was a death sentence. They would be taken out back and stoned. Because it is so important that we recognize God's Word and what a prophet actually means. In the New Testament, they didn't have the authority to kill a false prophet. But what would happen is a prophet, someone who would claim to be a prophet had to produce some kind of proof. That's what the sign gifts are all about. That's what uh, uh, being able to... Uh, provide some type of authority for your prophetic, for your mouthpiece of God, meant. So if you can't provide proof that you have a word from God, that you are a mouthpiece, a prophet, you better start asking where that message is actually coming from. Because the word that you have from God, the voice that you think you're hearing, might not be from God. It might be from a different source. He says, hold fast, meaning I'm not going to add anything here. I'm not going to add anything to Scripture. You don't need to worry about what Jezebel is saying because I haven't added any more burdens to you. I haven't added more Scripture. It's all contained in what you have here. So everything you do needs to be checked to this. Hold fast and continue to grow in Scripture, not in someone's opinion that they're telling you. Then there's got the church in Sardis. This was the dead church. They wanted to be known for being alive. They had a reputation for being alive. But truly they were dead. And they were dead because they cared more about their own reputation than they cared about the reputation of Christ. They cared about their reputation more than they cared 
about the purity of their church. The advice is to wake up, recognize that you're dead, and then to strengthen that what, that which remains. To remember and to keep, to guard, to conform to what you have received and heard, meaning coming back to Scripture. Keep it. And finally, repent. Turn from caring more about yourself than about caring for God and turn towards caring more about God. Then you have the church in Philadelphia. They were the faithful church. Once again, this was a church that was suffering persecution. There was a group of people that claimed that they had the keys to heaven and they were going to shut the door on them. And the advice is to hold fast. That no one else has control over your salvation. That no one can shut the door on your relationship with God. And finally, the church in Laodicea, they were the indifferent church. They'd become lukewarm. They didn't care about being used by God. And the advice is to repent and be zealous. With that in mind, we're going to read through this now. And hopefully you'll pick up on these themes and you'll see how how well woven it is together. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. I try not to talk during this time, but I do want to take one second and point out the term servant here is doulos in the Greek, and it means slave, which is interesting because we've been freed from slavery to sin, to be made slaves to God. Meaning God is our new master. Do we live like God is our new master? Okay, I'm going to keep going now. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to be glory, or sorry, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write that you see, write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like 
the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I will give some hidden, some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it, and the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your work, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, 
unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But the rest of you in Thyatira, who who do not hold this teaching, you have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from the Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, you have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say there are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. To those who dwell on the earth, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And solve to to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. 
The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There are a lot of themes here. But I think the one that should start it all, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It is so easy for us to play Monday morning quarterback and to point our finger at others and how others are spiritually immature. But what this is doing for us right here is saying stop and listen to the Word of God. Stop and listen to what He says so that you can examine your own heart and grow and mature in His grace. Dear Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You spoke to these churches so that we may grow. You pinpointed different churches that were going through different experiences. And yet we know that we will struggle with every single one of those things in our life. And we pray that we would have ears that would hear what You say to the Spirit. In Your name we pray. Amen.